And Satan is our enemy. I want you to think about this. Satan is the guy. He's a created being. He is the, the person who is the highest angel ever. He's the highest guy. But before he fell, he was known as Lucifer, the angel of light. And he rebelled against the creator God in that God's own heaven. Now that is the height of arrogance. He goes into God's house, heaven, and says, no, I'm going to be better than you. So God had to throw him out. And so he is the guy that lured man out of innocence into slavery. He's the, he's the one who's tried to destroy God's people from the time God set his love on Abraham and the Jewish people. He's tried to kill the Jewish people, even in uh, what we would consider our modern times of World War II. He, he, he tried to stop the birth of Christ, making Mary go all the way to Bethlehem, having the king kill the babies uh, at, at two years and younger. Uh, he was after Christ in his life and ministry. He tried to get the crowd to throw him off a cliff, tried to get the crowd to stone him. And over and over and over, Satan tried to thwart what Jesus was doing. And now he seeks to thwart the second coming. He tends to make, he wants to make us not understand that. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to fight against his coming like crazy, like never before. So, so badly, it's called the great tribulation. You think you've had trouble? Uh-uh. It's still on the way, all right? And it's going to come. And, and this being is who we fight. Well, if we're fighting him, and it's a spiritual fight, because we read back in verse 10, and if you weren't here, I'm just going to read them so you can catch up. I won't talk about them. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm and then we come to our text and the first thing he says is therefore Take, uh, uh, I'm sorry, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. So we need to talk, stop and talk about that. Because our wars are not against flesh and blood. If it were, we could use a gun. We could use a sword. We could use a dagger. We could use physical hand-to-hand combat. But it's not about that. And so all of that is pointless and useless in Christianity. What it, the only thing that is powerful is the Spirit of God working through us. It's a spiritual thing. And so Paul writes and explains this in a way of putting on the armor. Only God's power and God's armor will be effective in that fight. Amen? I know I've been talking fast, so I'm going to pause. Make sure you're still with me. Y'all with me? Everybody got on the train? I slowed the train down enough now. Jump on. Here we go. All right. So the first thing is this belt of truth. But to understand why you need the belt of truth, let me say a word more about our enemy. I hate to talk about the devil uh, because uh, you give him too much attention and that's not good. But you need to know your enemy, so you need to know him well enough to know what's going on here. Okay? So there, there, there's the context. Because the devil's a liar. All right? So now you know why you need a belt of truth. Because the devil will lie to you. And I'm going to give you nine ways that the devil's going to mess up the truth in your life. Okay, you ready? You might want to write some of this down. It might be important. Number one, Satan impugns God. Now, I, I, there's a longer sentence that goes with that. When I'm doing an outline, i got to do it in short words. What I mean by that is Satan tries to make it as if God has evil intention towards you. And some preachers help with that. 
They, 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 they say it in ways that make you think that God's out to get you. Let me just tell you something. If you don't know Christ, you've already been God. When you come to Christ, you become his child, and God may discipline you at some point, but he's never going to get you. He's never going to hurt you. He's never going to destroy you. He wants to give you life and give it abundantly. And nothing God ever told us not to do or told us to do was ever designed to hurt you. Every one of those kinds of commandments, whether it's a negative commandment, don't do this, or it's a positive commandment, do this, is meant to give you life and give it abundantly. It will enrich you. It will help you. It will help you to flourish. It will make you flourish. And so if, if you have the idea that God's out to ruin your good time, God's out to destroy you, Forget that. And, and this first thing I'm talking about, the first time we see it is in the garden when Satan speaks to Adam and Eve. Uh, he, he, I don't know if he filled the serpent or he looked like a serpent. And that could have even been a dragon. We don't know. It didn't have to necessarily be a snake. Um, anyway, I almost took a left turn in Albuquerque. I'm going to stop myself. But he speaks to them and he says, did God say you couldn't eat any of the fruit in the garden? And Eve goes, no, 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 we can eat all of it, except that one tree right there. And Satan says, oh, really? Why, why not? And she said, and she messed up too. She said, well, God said we couldn't eat it or even look at it. And he didn't say that. He just said, don't eat it. That we would die. And he said, you will not surely die. God just, God just wants to ruin your good time. He just wants... He knows if you eat that, you'll be like him. You'll know good from evil. And, and, and God just wants to mess you up. That's why he's saying that. He just don't want you to have any fun. That's the sense of the way Satan talked to Eve. And she ate it and gave it to Adam. And Adam, being a wimp, ate it too. And I say it that way because it wasn't sin until Adam ate it. You see, Satan captured the free will of man right there. The only man that's ever had a truly free will was Adam. And Adam squandered it and lost it for all of us. And now we are slaves to sin, slaves to, as Jesus said to the people of his day, you, to the Pharisees, you do the will of your father, the devil. They weren't even doing their own will. They were doing the will of their father. He said, but I do the will of my father. And everybody comes unto Christ who accepts Christ, who lets Christ's sacrifice count for them. We, be, we were broken out of slavery to the enemy and we become the voluntary slaves of Christ. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago about getting your ear punched where you become a voluntary servant or slave. That is uh, what happens to us. And Satan wants to make you think that God's out to get you and he takes God's word and he twists it so that, so that you don't... Uh, uh, you don't believe it. He says that God's got something else for you. Satan also attempts to distract us from victory. Listen, when, when, when things, good things happen, he'll come along and he'll make something bad happen. He will want to distract from the victory. Every time something great happens, I throw up my guard because I know it's coming. I know something's going to happen. Somebody's going to come after it. Something is going to go a little bit wrong. I remember being in class and a professor was lecturing us. It was a pastor's class. And he was lecturing us on depression and discouragement in the ministry. I promise you this is the most godly man I've ever met in my life. And, and I'll say that lightly. I mean, there are a lot of men I, I super admire. I think they're very godly. And, and there are men that, 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 that are up there. But this guy, man, he just there was something about him. So being the only guy in the class that was actually pastoring on the weekends, I raised my hand. Because I knew how I felt every Monday. You know, somebody asked a preacher, do you take Mondays off? He said, no, I don't want to feel that bad on my own time. 
You know, so there's truth to that. You maybe don't understand that. But, but I raised my hand. I said, Pastor B, do you, do you find that you tend to be discouraged and depressed more on Mondays? And he said, no, I was never tended to be discouraged and depressed on Mondays. I just always was. You see, after a great thing, the enemy comes in. You remember Elijah defeated 450 prophets of Baal and ran from a woman. I mean, you put to death 450 dudes and then one woman says boo and you run. There's a problem there, right? And in, in, in a couple of weeks, Algernon's going to be here. And I, I, I promise, unless something strange happens, I know God uses Algernon. I believe that God will do a great thing amongst our kids. I think he'll do a great thing amongst us. He's going to preach on Sunday morning for us. And I think you'll be blessed. I think you'll be encouraged. You'll be, hey, listen, he will not let you not like him, okay? He's going to come and love on you like crazy. He's a great guy. You know what's going to happen? The next day, somebody's going to call the office and go, I just don't like having that man here. I don't like the way he talks. Now, maybe it won't happen since I said it would, but some of y'all are going to think it anyway. Why? Because Satan, you remember this parable of the soils? He said, and there's, yeah. He always distracts, and the ultimate distraction is persecution. It's persecution. He always messes up our doctrine. He confuses true doctrine. Right here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. Scripture says, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. People are running to Oprah. People are running to Dr. Phil. People are running to Deepak Chopra. He was popular a few years ago. I don't know who the guy is now. They're running to Ron Hubbard. They're running to whoever, seeking some wisdom. They're going to fortune tellers. Demonic. All of that's demonic. And we're running to these things, seeking wisdom. There, and, and, and there are faults. And, and besides that, that's not, even, that's not even in the realm of Christianity. There are, there are people who are Christian preachers so-called that are preaching a wrong doctrine. And we, and we buy into it. One of them is what I call the health and wealth prosperity doctrine. Where God wants you healthy and wealthy. And if, you, if you're sick, that's because you don't have enough faith. If you're driving a... A car that is 12 years old, that's how old my car is. Then you just don't have enough faith. Because God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be wealthy. Jesus never owned anything. God don't want you to suffer. Jesus went to a cross and suffered for us. What makes you better than Jesus? I mean, when they taught Jesus, he said, look, foxes have holes in the ground. Birds have nests. I don't even have a place to lay my head. And you think... God's going to make you rich and comfortable in this world? That's a distraction as well. No. There's another philosophy in religious life. You hear those kind of folks a lot on the radio and television because everybody likes to hear that God wants everything to go well for you. There's the other people on the other end that I talked about earlier, but let me help you with them. Let me tell you something, brother. If you listen to that devil music and you wear your hair wrong... And you don't wear the right kind of clothes, you're going to hell. I didn't know the haberdashery and the barber had such grace in their scissors and needles and thread. Paul addresses that in the book of Galatians where he says, You foolish Galatians, be with you, you begin in faith, you can end in works. It's not what you do or don't do, it's the grace of God in your life that saves you. And you can't stay saved by doing right. You do right because you are saved. Okay? you got to get that straight. And that's what... 
Uh, Algernon just said, God didn't save you because you're awesome. He saved you because he's awesome. Right? Because we're not so awesome. And so Satan likes to confuse true doctrine. And he brings these kind of errors to us. And they sound good on the surface, but we run after them. Another one would be, if you're saved and filled with the Spirit, you've got to speak in tongues. Really? Because I am saved and filled with the Spirit. I don't speak in tongues. I'll tell you why I don't speak in tongues. Very simple. I don't have to. Everybody around me speaks English, and so do I. Well, it's sort of like English, but it's close enough. You know those voice-activated things on your phone? They don't work for me because the way I pronounce words, just, you know, I get weird stuff on there. I heard a lady, I, I did a, 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 a wedding, Thursday and Friday, and Friday wedding, and there was a lady there in the wedding party, and there was a person there, I think from Jamaica, uh, that was serving us at one of the, like the rehearsal dinner. And she was saying, you know, I knew somebody else from Jamaica. And they had the funniest accent. And I, and I looked at her husband and said, she doesn't have one. He goes, oh, no, she doesn't have one. It's like, you know, it's just so funny. It's what, it's what we get used to. Anyway, sorry. So I don't have the gift of tongues because I don't need it. Now, if y'all all spoke a different language and I don't have an interpreter and I only speak English, I could preach and God could do whatever he wanted. I might speak in your language or you might understand in your language, but that's up to God. But I don't have to. In fact... The sign of being filled with the Spirit is that you be, start looking like Jesus. I can't read anywhere where he spoke in tongues. He knew several tongues. He could speak Greek. He could speak Hebrew. He could speak Latin or whatever you called the Roman language at the time. Right? In fact, if, you're not, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved, according to Romans 8. See, that's what fixes it for you. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you're none of His. Say, well, what's the evidence of being filled with the Spirit? Am I producing children that look like Jesus? If I'm producing children that look like Jesus, then I'm filled with the Spirit. I have a relationship with God that results in fruit in my life. Am I living by the fruit of the Spirit? Do I have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness? All those things. Then the Spirit has got control, right? And when I don't do those things, He doesn't have control. You follow me? So even in religious talk, Satan will take something and he'll twist it. Remember when he tempted Jesus? Oh, you're hungry? Been 40 days? If you're really the son of God, talk to those rocks and turn them into bread. Because the Bible says, and Jesus said, now here's what the Bible says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now notice what Jesus did. He went to the truth. Satan tried to distort the truth. Jesus ran to the truth and applied it. You with me? All right, I want you to catch that. So he distorts and confuses our true doctrine. Satan hinders people's service to God. 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says, A great and effectual door is open to us to ministry, and there are many adversaries. I'm glad it doesn't say, but there are many adversaries, because but means there ain't no hope. But when he says, and, it means, hey, brother, you got opportunity, but you're going to have to fight through it. See, that's what the Bible tells us. Not that God relieves us of all suffering, but in our suffering we have someone with us and we can fight through and we can have victory even in our suffering. Amen? All right. So, that's 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, 1 Thessalonians 2, 18, all where Satan tries to hinder people's service to God. 
Satan causes divisions. In John 17, 11, Jesus prayed that we'd be one even as he and the Father were one. Again, in 21, verse 21 and 23 of John 17. In Matthew 5, 24, he talks about our unity. And right here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, here's what he says. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Listen, if you're one of those people in church and you're always complaining, you're trying to get people on your side to get to believe like you believe, and I just, I just don't like that, and we gotta, we got to do something about that. And you start causing division in the body of Christ, you're of Satan. And the Bible says in Galatians 5, you have no hope of heaven. Now, I say that to church people that are in church. If you're a guest, I'm not even implying that to you. You need to be saved. That's, that's just fact. If, not just because you're a guest. If you don't know the Lord, you need to be saved. But for saved people in church, sometimes people get in church, they start fighting over the stupidest things. A guy that that I like to follow, Tom Rayner, he's president of Lifeway, he put out a thing, 10 craziest things he ever heard of in a business meeting. And they'd argued for two years over the color of carpet, and they argued another two years over what brand of carpet to buy. It's just, nobody cares. Just tear it all up, paint the floor, you know? I always wondered about a lawnmower. I just want to pave the yard and paint it green. That way we could be good, right? <laughs> you know, just get past it, man. I like to say, go to the bank, take out a loan, build a bridge, and get over it. Why do we do that? But we like to call, we like, what I, well, you know why? Because we want to be right. Now, if you're married, you're going to understand what I'm about to say, especially the husbands. You can be right or you can be happy. In church, people, I'm right, i got to have my way. And then you cause division. Why don't you just give up? Why don't you be like Jesus who thought equality with God, not something to be held on to, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And taking the form of a servant, he was obedient even to death on a cross. You don't have to suffer that much if the, co- the carpet's not the color you like. Who cares? I don't care. You, don't, you shouldn't care. Satan convinces us to trust ourselves. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1 through 8, we read the story of David. He had an enemy coming against him, and he said, number the army. His general said, David, don't do that. You know not to do that. He goes, no, I want to know. How many we got? Because they got that many, and I want to know. What do we got? What are we facing? And God brought judgment, and David repented and said, because I was trusting in my strength instead of his strength. We do that as believers. We try to work this out in our own strength. He convinces us to trust ourselves, but Proverbs 3, 5 says what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. And yet, we try to figure it out instead of praying it out. Satan leads us into hypocrisy. Church has hypocrites in it. Surprise. (laughs) Some of those hypocrites are unbelievers that kind of worm their way in. I don't know how they got here, but they're here. They joined, they said the right things, but they're not saved. And they're hypocrites because they're acting like they're saved when they're not. But there's a worse hypocrite, and that's the one who is saved and don't act like it. Right? But let me again tell you how subtle the devil is. Because this word hypocrisy means to put on a mask. It comes from the Greek theater. And I, you know, I'm not a theater person really. I enjoy it, but I, I, I'm not. Per- but you see the symbol of theater. It's a sad mask and a happy mask. That comes from this Greek word. Because when they did it, I guess they had bad actors in Greece. I don't know. So instead of expressing the emotion with their face, they just put a mask over their face. So they'd hold a mask up, and that meant I'm a happy character, whatever. Whatever the character was, they'd just stick a mask up there. And, that, and so this word became to wear a mask. We wear a mask in church, even if we're not hypocrites. Even if we live in our life the best we can to know God, we come to church. Somebody says, how you doing? You go, fine. 
You're lying. Now, I don't say you got to say, oh, let me give you a list, man. I'll just tell you this week. You know, you don't have to do that either. But here's my point. Because we feel a need to dress up and put on our, our happy mask, I can't look at a brother and say, man, I'm struggling. I have been tempted to do this sin or that go that way. You see, the devil flourishes in hidden things. But when, the, when dirt is exposed to light, you don't live with dirt anymore, right? You clean it up, right? And so God wants us to be able, this is, is supposed to be a body of people. My wife hurt her thumb last weekend. It's still messed up. She, she gouged a piece of meat out of her thumb. I won't even tell you how. But it still hurts her. Yeah, some people were there, they know. What if she just covered that up and never did anything about it? It'd be infected right now. It would be messing up her whole body. She'd have a fever. Gangrene could set in. It could eventually kill her just because of a little gouge on her thumb, which feels like it's that big, but it's only actually that big. Right? In the church, when Satan hurts one somebody, and they don't have the freedom to say, I've been hurt, I've been injured, I've messed up, and we can't go to them and cover them in prayer and love and healing, eventually the whole body gets gangrene. And so hypocrisy is not just, well, you're supposed to be a Christian and you're not living the life. So like my cousin, the big guy that was a chief of police, and he used to go to our church, and I said, hey, Mickey, I haven't seen you at church lately, so, oh, church full of hypocrites. And I said, well, man, I'd rather go to church with a few hypocrites than go to hell with all of them. I notice hypocrites don't keep you out of Disney World or the grocery store or wherever it is you like to go. Don't keep you from the lake. Just for some reason, oh, can't go to church with the hypocrites. Oh, please, come on. But that hypocrisy is more subtle than we think. It's when I can't be open with you and I have to wear my mask so that you will accept me and you won't talk about me and you won't. You know, here's the deal because it happens. You know why there are warning labels on things? Because some fool tried that. I mean, y'all all know that now you get a McDonald's cup of coffee, it says, McDonald's hot coffee is served hot. Because somebody didn't know that and poured it in her lap. Come on. Hello. Duh. We're trying to reverse. Well, never mind, I won't say that. So... <laughs> here's what really happens in church. Somebody says, man, I'm struggling with, name the sin. And they go, oh, brother, I'm so sorry. And then they run and they tell somebody, man, so-and-so is suffering with so-and-so. They're struggling against this or that or that. And we start spreading it around because it's a prayer request. Here's an idea for you. Shut up. Talk to God. Don't talk to other people. Right? Be quiet. So that we can share. That doesn't have anything to do with hypocrisy other than people can't be free because we talk about them. And, and that does happen. And that's also sin Satan does. Satan leads believers to loving the world. Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We begin to love the world. We think we got to stay in the world. We think we got to be comfortable in the world. And we love the world and we hate God. You can't love the world and love God at the same time. That's what he said. You either love God and hate the world or you love the world and hate God. Period. 
Now, it doesn't mean we can't enjoy things here. God's given us all things to enjoy. But we shouldn't worship the world because it's temporary. Because I ain't staying here. I'm leaving this place. And so I'm already, in my head, I'm already there. And i got to be living my life as if I'm there. Let me, let me illustrate this. I, I didn't write it in my notes to do this, but it hit me uh, when I preached this in the earlier hour. And I want to share it with you, too, just to edify you. And it's not, it doesn't only apply to me. There are other people in this church this would apply to. But, but a week or two ago, we, Jan and I were driving home. And I, I just remember this because I don't get emotional. Or actually, I get emotional, but I try not to show it, okay? Because I'm Celtic. Y'all could tell by the red hair and the pale skin, right? People said, oh, did you go to the beach? No, I just went to the mailbox without sunscreen. It's just, you know, I just burn, I turn white again. It's just how it works for us. And so Celtic people, we take all of our emotions and we cram them down right here. And then we die. That's it, okay? So we just don't let anybody see it. And, and so we're hypocrites. We live our lives of hypocrisy. Because we don't want you to know what we're thinking. And so I don't let it out. And I let it out because I'm vulnerable with my wife. And we were turning the corner right over there. And that's why I remember we're coming home. And she just was talking about our daughter. She's moved out of the house. Connie, please don't go till Wednesday. We got to get some more stuff out of there. But, um, but they're gone out of the house. My daughter and son-in-law have been living there for several months. They're headed to Israel. And, uh, and now they've gone and moved to Suffolk to be with his parents for a couple of months while they finish up some stuff. And then they're leaving in January. Just, you didn't want to know all that, but I told you anyway. I don't even remember what Janice said. I don't remember everything I said. I just remember this moment happening. But it just basically, you know, the idea of doesn't it bother you that the kids are going to Israel. And I said, do you not think that it kills me that I raised our children to love God and always obey Him? And that means our daughter... And our grandchildren are going to live in an Arabic village, a Muslim village in Jerusalem. In Israel, not in Jerusalem, in Israel. And I was crying because I let my emotion out. I hate it when she does that to me. But anyway, and, we, and I wept a moment. But see, what Jesus said is, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister... And love me, you're not worthy. And it's not that our kids hate us or we hate them. It's that the love for Christ is larger. Do you follow that? There are other families in this church that understand what I'm saying because they do the same thing. And Satan leads us into loving the world thinking that, because I'm just like you. I want my children to live right here with me. I want to have my kids, my grandkids. And some of y'all are blessed to have that. You ought to thank God every day. That that is true, you ought to get on your knees and say, thank God my children are within traveling range in a few minutes or, a few, or less than an hour to get to see them, to get to talk to them. I thank God for modern technology. I am going to become Skype's best friend. I promise you, I want to see my kids. I want to see my grandkids. But the point is this, how, what kind of dad would I be if I told them not to obey God's word? Because we're all going to heaven and then we're, we won't be separated. Right? This is temporary. And Satan leads you to think that you got to live for this world. He leads you to think you need to put an air conditioner in a pup tent. He leads you to think you need to put wall-to-wall carpeting and pave a driveway out in front of a pup tent. Because let me tell you, where I live right here in this body is just a pup tent. And one day it's going to lay down and die. But I'm not going to die. 
I'm going to go live in heaven. And this body will be resurrected. And I'll get a new house one day that doesn't die. And it's going to be perfect. I look forward to that day. Last thing up there. Satan leads people to disobey God's word. Oh my goodness, the time. Satan leads people to disobey God's word. He calls us to be faithful, but we're unfaithful. He calls us to be moral, but we commit immorality. He calls us to live in truth, but we live in a lie. He calls us to love, but we hate. He calls us to be content with what God gives us, but we covet. He calls us to walk in faith, but we walk by sight. These are Satan's distractions. Actually, the belt, let me get into it really quickly. How was the belt used? It made fighting possible. All warrior classes of all time, the men did not wear pants. They wore a long flowing garment or a skirt type garment. The Romans did it. The Scots did it. That's why I understand this a little bit. The modern kilt that men wear are called a modern kilt. It's not the old timey kilt. Because the old timey kilt was 10 yards of material. And they just wrapped it around, cinched it with a belt, threw the extra over their shoulder, pinned it on, and went to war. And in their day, in the Bible day, they had a longer flowing garment. And in the Old Testament and New Testament, it talks about gird up your loins. That's the same thing here as using this belt. And what they'd do is they'd lean over and they'd grab the back end of that thing and they'd pull it up and they'd cinch it up with a belt and they'd tuck everything under that belt to get it out of the way so when they ran, when they moved, that they wouldn't get caught up in the stuff that was hanging down. And that is the idea of the belt here. This is how that belt got used. It made fighting possible the belt held everything together and he calls it a belt of truth i don't get into what is truth but you just need to understand this belt is something they would they would tuck everything into it they'd hang their sword from it they would hang any other kind of weapon or tool from it and it it put everything together now if you think about it's the last thing you put on but paul puts it first why because it's a belt of truth it is in the truth that all the rest of the armor is held together and that's what you got to get I want to have a policeman come. I didn't want to. I would have called one and asked him. But, but I thought about it. Have a policeman come up here. A policeman gets dressed, puts on his vest. He puts on all the stuff, puts on his uniform. Last thing he puts on is a Sam Brown, which is an old term for the belt they have. And on there, he's got his gun. He's got his mace holder. He's got his uh, collapsible baton holder. He's got his handcuff holder. He's got a place for a walkie-talkie. He's got who knows what else. It's a Batman belt. I don't know. But it's got all that stuff on it. He puts that thing on and that's, that's all his tools at any time. That's what the belt does. It pulls it together. It makes fighting possible. It gets all the extra out of the way. And if it's not tucked up in the belt, it can trip you up as you run, as you move, as you try to fight. And so Paul calls it a belt of truth. So what is truth? Jesus is the truth. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. I'm talking about wrong doctrine. People say all religions lead to heaven. No, they don't. Only Christianity leads to heaven. All other religions, all other beliefs lead you to hell. And I can prove that. Don't have time because I'm already past time. But all roads do not lead to heaven. All roads do not lead to God. Only one road leads to God. There's only one way, one truth, one life. There's only one person, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. Christianity is an exclusive religion. There is nothing else that can be added to it, and it, is, and it is not part of anything else. It is all by itself. Jesus is God all by himself. You've got to understand that. He is truth and then God's word is truth John 17 17 Jesus said to the father 
Thy word is truth. You see, where we learn truth, and all truth that can be discovered, is God's truth. There, you will never discover truth that doesn't belong to God. You will never discover a truth that is not found in this word. This is our source of truth. So when some guy gets up and he starts predicting and telling me and saying things, I'm going to judge that against the scripture. And if it don't match up to scripture, I don't need to know what he's saying or why he's saying it. All I got to know is, nope, that's not what the scripture says. Right? And once you're there, you're good. Did you know that in Psalm 138 verse 2, God said, I exalt my word above my name. Now, that's in the King James. If you've got a more modern translation, he said, my name and my word are exalted above all things. In other words, if you can't trust God's word, you can't trust God. And this is God's word. You say, well, how do you know? There are other religious books because only the Bible cannot be disproven, nor can it be seen to have a contradiction in it. And all other religious books were either written by a man or they were written hundreds of years after the dude that supposedly they're following died and, by the way, is still in his grave. But what we know about God was written by eyewitnesses in the presence of eyewitnesses. In other words, there were people still alive when they wrote it down could say, that ain't right, I was there, that's just wrong. And yet we don't see that happening. The Bible is God's truth, and God said, I've exalted my word above my name. And Jesus illustrated it by telling us a true story. He told us a lot of parables, but he told us a very true story. And it was this, about the rich man and Lazarus. You might have heard this story. Lazarus was a poor beggar out in front of this rich man's house. He was always begging for crumbs, and the both of them died. The rich man went to hell. Lazarus went to heaven. The rich man looks up from hell, and, and he says to uh, to uh, Abraham over there in paradise. He says, hey, send Lazarus to come dip his finger in, a, in Stuart's glass of water and touch my tongue because I'm in torment in this flame. And Abraham said, nope, too bad. You live for the world. You had health, wealth, and prosperity in the world. Hope you enjoyed it. It's over. He didn't have anything in the world, but now he's got this for eternity. That's a little bit of a paraphrase, but I want to drive home the point. If you're living for this world, this world's all you got. And then you're going to die, and it ain't going to be good. And then the rich man says, well, just send him to talk to my brothers so they don't come here. And Abraham said, they got the Bible. It's called Moses and the Prophets, a Jewish way of saying the Old Testament. So they got the Bible. They got Moses and the Prophets. Let them believe them. And, Lazarus, and the rich man in hell says this, no. They won't believe that, but they would believe if somebody rose from the dead. And then we have these words of Abraham from heaven. By the way, that is the only prayer to a saint recorded in the Bible. The rich man in hell is praying to Abraham. Now notice where the prayer originated from and what it got him. It originated in hell and got him nothing. And here's what Abraham said. If they won't believe the Bible, they won't believe if someone rises from the dead. Do you think Jesus told that story just to be filling time? Or was he trying to the point of the fact that I'm going to rise from the dead, and if you already reject the Bible, you're going to reject me? You see, God's truth is found in the Scripture. And later on, the Bible is going to be called the sword of the Spirit. But this is the understanding of the truth. When we get to there, it's the use of the truth. 
And God's word is truth. And to be girded means to be disciplined. It's a self-discipline. It's a total commitment. I'm going to put on the armor and I'm going to gird it up with truth. And everything I put on is going, to, is going to be able to fit into the truth. And this could be said to gird yourself with truthfulness. In other words, not just a, a, a bunch of facts. But to live your life and to live your life in, in the idea of the truthfulness of who God is. The Bible says that all those who come to God must believe that He is. That's where we start. That's how, in fact, that's what is given to us when it tells us to try the spirits, whether they be from God. For he says, no spirit who's not of God can say that Jesus came in the flesh, that he is God. In other words, if you are faced with that, you can say, you there in Jesus' name is Jesus Jehovah. Did he come in the flesh? Is Jesus God? And I'll tell you, a demon will say no. Got a bunch of stories about that. Can't tell any of them because I don't have time. My wife told me not to do that to you, but you got to come back later. All right. Here's three things you could do this week. First of all, take a stand in the area Satan's hindered you. Satan is after every one of us. He hinders all of us. He gets after each one of us. So take a stand. Because if you belong to Christ, you belong to Christ. You don't belong to him. And wherever it is you are bothered, say, this is what has happened. I don't have to do that. I turn to the cross and I say, Jesus, you died to save me from that sin. I belong to you. I don't need to do that sin. And I'm taking a stand against it. I need your help. I need you to come in and empower me and fill me and rebuke my enemy. And I want you to fill me. I want you to refresh me. I want you to lead me and guide me because I reject the error and I come to the truth. Secondly, begin to dig deeply into God's word. I'm not saying go out tomorrow and have a a deep book study. You might not be ready for that. But try to read something in the Bible that means something to you. Start there. When I started lifting weights again, I was all weak and anemic. I promise you, I didn't lift a whole lot of weight. It was a little bit of weight. But the next time I could lift it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Till later I was lifting hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Say, not you. Yeah, I could. I've, I've lifted over 800 pounds with my legs. I can do that. Or used to could do that. Now my hip hurts too bad. But anyway... So just start digging where you can and start reading the scripture and asking God to show it to you. John 17, 17, thy word is truth. Refuse to believe anything until you check it against God's word. If you are listening to some preacher on the radio, television, I don't care who, I, if it's me. I don't want you to go out here and just believe everything I said. I want you to go home and read your Bible and say, what are you saying right? I'm not sure about all that. Because I try to say it in a way to make you think, huh? I really do. I want you to go, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Because I want you to dig into here and make sure I'm right. And if I'm right, well, that's on you. you got to do something about it. If I'm wrong, I want you to come tell me, hey, Pastor, you were wrong. Let me show you. Because I can be wrong. Newsflash. <laughs> I'm not infallible. No other preacher is either. And so I expect you to not believe me. I expect you to get into here. And so do that this week. Start digging into God's Word and compare everything you hear and see and feel and taste and whatever against this. Because I promise you, if you live your life by the truth, God, now you'll have God's fullness and blessing in your life.